You're about to hear a sermon that was preached for the people of Sacred City Church in Moline, Illinois. Sacred City Moline is a gospel-centered missional church that aims to make disciples plant churches and renew the cities. If you want to hear more about Sacred City Church or become part of what we're doing here, we encourage you to visit us at scmoline.com. Now, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy this sermon. So our verses are John 11. Verses 55, and then we're gonna move on through chapter 12 and read through it. And we'll try to do that in one fell swoop so we can get the flow of the text. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think, that he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might, see, or they might arrest him. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the, pra- with the fragrance of the perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you, not, you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And I like how Pastor Sam always says, I'll pray for you and you pray for me. So I'll continue that tradition. Father God, I lift up your people to you. God, I pray that you set me aside and use me to say words that edify them, that comfort them, that embolden them. God, we thank you for each soul here. God, we pray right now that you build faith and that you help me to say the things you'd have me to say. It's in your son's name I pray, amen. So here we are in this story in the context where six days before Passover. Now Passover of the Jews is their main big holiday. It's the day of atonement. And so if we remember back to the Exodus, when the Lord led his people out of Egypt, They were instructed to four days beforehand to bring a year-old lamb in their house, a spotless lamb, a perfect lamb, and to take care of that lamb and to feed that lamb and make sure nothing happened to that lamb. And then on the fourth day, they were all to place their hands on that lamb. And then the man of the house was to cut that lamb's throat. 
Now that is a horrible picture, and it's supposed to be. Because without the shedding of blood, we read in Hebrews 9, there is no forgiveness of sins. So when we deal with the nature of the atonement, it is a vicarious, here's some big words, stick, stick with me here. <laughs> it is a vicarious, penal, substitutionary atonement. And this is rooted in the holiness of God. Because he cannot look on sin. His eyes are too holy. He hates all who do iniquity, it says in Psalm 5.5. He's angry at the wicked every day because we are dead in our sins and trespasses and by nature children of wrath. And I'm just gonna give you a little shot of the gospel here because this is gonna get heavy. Remember who Jesus is eating with. A four-day-old corpse with maggots stinking in the tomb named Lazarus, and he called him forth, and he gave him life. There's the gospel. Us here that believe in Christ, this did not come on our own. This was a gift of God. And so now Jesus, eating with his friends, supping in their house, Six days before Passover, are you guys feeling the parallels of this lamb that is to be slain? And we also, we see Mary, and Pastor Sam and I were texting back and forth, and I said, I'm not sure which Mary's which. I think Mary is the one that Jesus cast the seven demons out of. I'm going to go with that. I think that's true. But here again... Mary bound by seven demons, but Jesus touched her and cleansed her of those things. And so the nature of this atonement that he's fixing, <laughs> he's fixing to do six days from this supper is a vicarious, means he does it in the place of people. Pastor Sam preached two weeks ago from John chapter 10 and it was the extent of the atonement. Jesus is the good shepherd. He lays his life down for the sheep. And so he's fixing to do this. He's going to put all of their sin on him. And it's a penal substitution. And so there's punishment involved. Because the wages of sin is death. And since all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God... We all have our own sins to answer for. Not only that, but we're represented by the federal head, Adam, who was told what he ought to do in the garden. And it was only one thing. Just don't eat of that. But they questioned God's word because he told them, if you do, you'll surely die. He questioned God's word. They doubted God's word. They was going to run off the hypothesis that the snake had given them that, you know, you probably won't die. Surely you won't. I mean, we know God is good and God is gracious and God is holy. He surely wouldn't do that. But because he is all those things, he must do that. Because everything in scripture is rooted on the holiness of God. 
And every doctrine that we talk about rises and falls on the nature of this atonement that Christ has done on the cross. So 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15 It says, him who died and rose on their behalf. So this was on someone's behalf. It was not a nameless, faceless group. He knew them by name. Second Corinthians 5, 21, it says, him who knew no sin, God made to be sin on our behalf so that we could become the righteousness of God through him. So we have a double imputation If Jesus only wiped away your sin, you're still not righteous. You're just sinless. There's no active righteousness there. And if he allows you to continue to walk in this world, chances are you're going to sin again. But with a double imputation, God puts the righteousness of his own son on his people. And therefore, he looks at you as a son. This blood has propitiated your sins. It has took the punishment, it has warded off God's wrath, and it has made you adoptable by God. It has freed God to save whomever God wants to save. And this, folks, is good news. It doesn't depend on you. We've all lost, we know people that have lost babies in the womb. And they did that because of Adam's sin. But because Jesus has made God just and the justifier of men, he can unconditionally elect each and every one of them and bring them to himself. And the accuser, Satan of the brethren, has nothing to say. Because by the blood of the cross, Christ has shut his mouth. This is good news, that Christ had specific people in mind. The Father had a specific loving plan before the foundation of the world. And now the nature of this atonement, we talked about the double imputation. There's, I have verse upon verse upon verse. 1 Peter 2.24, he bore our sins. He appointed righteousness to the many. Galatians, he gave himself for our sins. Romans 4.25, delivered over on account of our transgressions. So Jesus laid his life down for his people because the wages of sin is death. This is an eternal redemption. Colossians 1.13-14, it says, He rescued us from the domain of darkness and in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. I'm just paraphrasing here. I'm not going to... This would take forever if I went through all the verses. We are going to go back to Leviticus 16, though. And I want you to look and read all of the things that God tells them to do. And as we think about this time before Passover, and we have these priests who are purifying themselves. And so... They're sinful, and so they have to make atonement for their sin before they can then make atonement for the people's sin 
because they cannot come into the presence of God without the shedding of blood, without this purifying. And the funny thing is, is they're looking for Jesus. And I just want to, he ain't gonna show up to that. He's the better high priest. He does not need purified. Nothing pollutes him. Nothing. So now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron. That's a whole story in itself. They offered undemanded fire and God struck them dead because he's holy. When they had approached the presence of the Lord and died, the Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron that he shall not enter at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat which is on the ark or he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat Aaron shall enter the holy place with this, with a bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen tunic and the linen undergarment shall be next to his body. And he shall be girded with the linen sash and attired with the linen turban. These are holy garments. Then he shall bathe his body in water and put them on. He shall take from the congregation of the sons of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Then Aaron shall offer the bull for the sin offering, which is for himself. This is to cleanse Aaron, that he may make atonement for himself and for his household. So himself and his household. He shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. Then Aaron shall offer the goat on which the lot for the Lord fell and make it a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot for the scapegoat fell shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it and to send it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. I want you guys to understand the word atonement. It is at one meant. It makes you at one with God again. It brings you into fellowship with him. Then Aaron shall offer the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his household. And he shall slaughter the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself. He shall take a fire pan full of coals of fire from upon the altar before the Lord, and two handfuls of finely ground sweet incense, and bring it inside the veil. He shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord, and the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the ark of the testimony, otherwise he will die. Moreover, he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side. Also in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall slaughter the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people, and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull and sprinkle it on atonement for the holy place because of the impurities of the sons of Israel and because of their transgressions in regard to all their sins. And thus he shall do for the tent of meeting, which abides with them in the midst of their impurities. When he goes in to make atonement in the holy place, no one shall be in the tent of meeting until he comes out, that he may make atonement for himself and for his household and for all the assembly of Israel." 
Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it and shall take some of the blood of the bull and of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar on all sides. With his finger, he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it seven times and cleanse it and from the impurities of the sons of Israel consecrate it. When he finishes atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall offer the live goat. Then Aaron shall lay both of his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the sons of Israel and all their transgressions in regard to all their sins. This is vicarious, okay? Sins on the goat. In regard to all their sins, and he shall lay them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who stands in readiness. So Passion Week, Jesus is tried, Jesus is, Pilate finds no fault in him, they lead him outside of Jerusalem to kill him there. See all of these parallels. All of this is foreshadowing what Jesus is going to do during this Passion Week. But it, it gets even better. We'll read, we'll read Hebrews 9, it gets even better. Goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to a solitary land, and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. Then Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting and take off the linen garments which he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there. He shall bathe his body with water in a holy place and put on his clothes and come forth and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make atonement for himself and for the people. Then he shall offer up in smoke the fat of the sin offering on the altar. The one who released the goat as the scapegoat shall wash his clothes and bathe his body with water. Then afterward he shall come into the camp. But the bowl of the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place shall be taken outside the camp and they shall burn their hides, their flesh and their refuse in the fire. Then the one who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body with water. Then afterward he shall come into the camp. And they did this every single year to the tune of thousands upon thousands of animals. Now there is a false view of the atonement that it is a governmental atonement. And what it does is all of this story wants to show you how bad your sin is and what you need to do and all. And it does that, but that's not what the nature of the atonement is. The nature of this atonement is to cleanse a people, to cleanse their consciousnesses, to make them right before God, and to make them righteous. And that is where the blood of bulls and the blood of goats, that could not do. It did not do. And that's why God, with all of these foreshadowings, it pointed to the light of Christ that pushes the shadows out and glorifies God, glorifies his free grace. Now, another thing that we can call this atonement, that it is a ransom payment. And so it is a ransom payment for many. And the scriptures tell us it's not gold or silver or jewels or whatever they used in the day to buy someone back off the slave market of sin. The payment was Christ's blood. His blood is going to be shed 
And that is the blood that buys people back. Another thing that this atonement is, the nature of this atonement, it is, it a, it is a, an accomplished work. Okay, Christ died once for all. There's no longer a sacrifice for sin. There's no longer an atonement to be made. It has been made. It was sufficient. It was perfect. And it goes out and it does everything that it was meant to do. We can trust it. We can know it. And we can rely on it. That is where our hope comes from is the fact that Jesus lived and died on our behalf because we could not live holy and righteous before God. We could not atone for our own sins. But Jesus can and did and is now seated at the right hand of God interceding for all those that he shed his blood for. And so this is the good news of the gospel. And with the good news, I mean, there's a lot of bad news here. We look at this blood. We sing about this blood. We talk about this. This is the reminder of the sinfulness of sin. And if we don't understand the sinfulness of sin, we don't elevate God's holiness and justice and righteousness to the, to the level that it should be. And so we need to look at these things. We need to study these things. We need to hammer these things out and we need to have them in the forefront of our mind. It's good to sing these songs because Christ came to give life and to give it abundantly. He came to free you from the curse of sin and death. He came to make you a new creation and that's what he does. That is what he does. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I want you guys to turn over to Hebrews chapter 9 for me. And we just read all about the regulations of divine worship of the earthly sanctuary in the tabernacle. And the priest continually over and over had to slaughter animals and cleanse themselves and purify themselves so that they could walk in to the temple. Go down to verse... Hebrews 9, verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself 
without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. For this reason, he is a mediator of a new covenant, so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed, he is forgiven the transgressions that were committed under the... Receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. For where a covenant is, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. For a covenant is valid only when men are dead, for it is never in force while the one who made it lives. Therefore, even the first covenant was not inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment had been spoken by Moses to all the people according to the law... He took the blood of the calves and the goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people saying, this is the blood of the covenant which God commanded you. And in the same way, he sprinkled both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry that we had read about in Leviticus 16. Therefore, it was necessary for the copies of the things in the heavens to be cleansed with these. This is also, the atonement speaks to the attributes of God. His immutability, he does not change. His, his holiness, his steadfastness. I mean, everything that we look at with God hangs on this atonement. This atonement either sets you in a straight path to understand who God is, or it's gonna set you and start you veering off, and you're not gonna speak rightly of God. That's just the way that it works. Another way that modern evangelicalism speaks of the atonement of God is that it makes salvation possible. It, it takes the effect of the atonement and it makes it, it spreads it wide and it makes it shallow. It makes it possible for men to be saved. There's nothing about this when we read through the scriptures that makes salvation possible. It actualizes it. It accomplishes it. We read in John 17 that it is a finished work. He prays to the Father, I'm not praying for the world, but I'm praying for those that you've given me out of the world. He knew them by name, John 10. He laid his life down for the sheep and he gives eternal life to them. We all grew up that you are offering a gift to people. And in a way you are. But Jesus gives eternal life. He gives it. It's not a maybe. It's not an almost. It's not a, if you do the right thing or if you say the right prayer, if you walk down the aisle or if you feel real bad or if you, you know, you can't just believe in Jesus. You have to make him Lord. You have to decide who he is. And then you have to make sure that you've done that right so that then by the faith that you're putting in him, then maybe he'll save you. This is what modern evangelicalism has done to us. But this atonement of Jesus Christ, the creator of heaven and earth, 
the owner of all things and every cattle on a thousand hills, he came and he died and he shed his perfect blood and then he walked into the temple in heaven, not created by hands, and he offered that and he purchased men for God from every tribe, tongue, and nation and he will have them. He never fails, he never falters, he doesn't grow weak or weary or tired, he accomplishes his ultimate will and it is a loving plan that was formed before the foundations of the world by the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That the Father had set aside the many to be the bride of Christ, but they were fallen and they were sinful and they were dead in their sins but him to purchase his bride and to cleanse her and to make her pure. And then the Holy Spirit throughout all of time gathers them to his son. This is a Trinitarian work. This atonement is rooted in the holiness and the nature of God. And if we mess this up, we have nothing. You have works. That's what you have, is you figure it out. You decide whether you like this God or you like that God, or you're gonna take the scriptures and you're gonna carve them out and you're gonna build this little Jesus that I like the thought of. And we cannot do this. People's souls are at stake here. The glory of God is at stake here. And we cannot whisper these things to the people around us. We must proclaim a victorious Christ who saves all those who come to him. Turn with me to Haggai 2, and this is an obscure little passage, but it speaks volumes. It speaks volumes. I grew up in a Pentecostal church, and I've had a pastor that stood from the pulpit and told me that if I drove over 55 mile an hour to church and got in a wreck and died, I would miss heaven. So when I get up here and I just about have a fit of the holiness and the righteousness of God, it's because people have told me things that are not true about the God that I know. And I want you all to know the truth. His grace is free. His grace is abundant. And his grace never fails. And he gives faith. And faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's not something that you come up with. I've had people tell me, <laughs> it's sad, really. Someone going in for open heart surgery, he was just a hoping and a praying that if he don't wake up, he's gonna make it to heaven. <laughs> and I go, what do you mean? What do you mean? Do you, not, do you not know Jesus? He, purchased, he purchased men. He owns them. For God. And so when we look at this, the nature of this atonement, you will have people tell you that a vicarious penal substitutionary atonement makes God a monster. That is what they'll tell you. How dare God not make salvation possible? For what? So men can figure out how to get there? 
Haggai 2, verse 11 through 13. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask now the priests for a ruling. If a man carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches bread with this fold or cooked food, wine, oil, or any other food, will it become holy? And the priest answered, no. Then Haggai said, if one who is unclean from a corpse touches any of these, will the latter become unclean? And the priest answered, it will become unclean. So why would I read that to you? Turn over to Luke chapter 8. Verse 43. And a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years, and this is a, this is a bleeding hemorrhage, and, and this type of hemorrhage makes everything unclean that it touches. That is Old Testament law. Came up behind him, Jesus, and touched the fringe of his cloak. And immediately her hemorrhage stopped. And Jesus said, who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone did touch me. For I was aware that power had gone out of me. When the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and fell down before his feet and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed and said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Why was this woman cowering? Because everybody she touched made them unclean. But here you have the sacrificial meat that is to shed his blood for all of his people, dressed in linen, and when someone touches that linen, they're made clean. He is so much better and higher than all of the shadows because an unclean thing that touches the sacrificial meat makes the sacrificial meat unclean, but when an unclean thing comes by faith and touches the Lord Jesus Christ, they are made clean, and they are made clean forever, and he will not lose them, and he makes them one with the Father, and he gives them an inheritance, and he gives them the Holy Spirit. And this is for us, and for our children, and for all those who are fall off that the Lord may call. That is what the blood that we sing about up there, that's this blood. It's perfect. So how do we evangelize? This is the question. How do we evangelize if we know that it is a definite atonement and he died only for the sheep? How do we evangelize? This is how you evangelize. You proclaim a risen Lord who died for sinners. And if the sinner will come to him and touch him, they will be saved. You don't worry about who is elect and who is non-elect because you cannot see that, you cannot know that. You proclaim a risen, perfect Lord. And you draw them and you ask them to come to him by faith. And you must confront their sin because that's what's killing them. 
Jesus didn't come to save you from hell. He came to save you from sin. That's why that is what was put on him. That is why he died. Because sin is the disease. And Christ is the perfect cure. And so this Christ that we sit here and we think about during Passion Week, that they were looking to see if he'd come to the cleansing. They didn't know him because he doesn't need to be cleansed. He's always clean. He makes everything he touches touches clean. And when the blood poured down off of that cross and it came into the terra firma that he was staked in, it's continued to spread and his blessings will flow as far as the curse is found. He will not fail. This atoning sacrifice is so much better than anything we see in the Old Testament. This new covenant is the covenant that is bought and purchased and sealed with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we marvel in this blood. And if you sit here today and you love Jesus and you believe in Jesus, we just read it. Jesse read it to you. Pastor Jesse, this is not, this faith is not of yourself. It is a gift. You've been given a gift. You get to come and worship him. You get to come to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness every time you ask because of the imputed righteousness of the son. You never fall in and out of grace like Rome wants to teach you. You are justified by the faith that you are given by God, declared righteous. This is what the Reformation was all about. This is what the Reformation today is about still. Within Protestant circles, it's still about this. It's still about this. Church, I implore you to look into these things. Don't believe your pastors. That sounds bad. (laughs) But research these things. Study these things. Be Bereans and be in the Bible. Be in the word. Test it. Check it. Know it. Run everything that anybody says to its logical conclusion. But never for once doubt that this Jesus came and died and shed his perfect blood and is a powerful savior. And those that the father brings to him, he will never cast out. It is for sure. We can build lives on it. We can build nations on it. The world will be renewed by the preaching of the cross. And we're 2,000 years away from that six days before Passover. Jesus, in relationship, how sweet was that relationship? That he sits there across from a dead man. And I mean four days in the Middle Eastern heat. No wonder Martha's like, don't open that tomb. That's going to be rough. 
But this Jesus, this prophet, priest, and king, when he speaks life, it never fails. And now he is supping with that man that we'll know, we'll see him someday. Blows my mind. We'll be like, Lazarus, what was that like? He'd be like, man, it was nuts. I mean, think about that stuff. I was in Abraham's bosom, and all of a sudden, I'm back in the tomb. What? I don't know how it went, speculating. It's fun to think about. We look at Mary anointing him with this fragrant spikenard. And it's amazing how when God uses analogy and he uses metaphor and he uses shadow, it affects the whole person, okay? So you and as a physical body that God created, you're not divided into pieces and parts. You are you. And God deals with the whole of you. And so we look at the senses that are affected, the emotions that are affected, and the relationship and how sweet that was that Jesus had. And this woman who Jesus cast seven demons out of is now on, if that, if that is true, I don't know for sure, I think it is, we're going with it. If that is true, this is the second time that she has come to the feet of the Lord Jesus and cried and sobbed and wiped the tears off of his feet with her hair. Why do you think Mary felt that way? People ask Jesus, he goes, those who are forgiven much love much. She knew what the scriptures said and she was standing and that was the one who set her free and that was the one who by free grace had made her a new creation. And she knew her sin, but she knew his grace and there is no sin that Christ's blood is not sufficient to cleanse. He is preeminent in all things. Whichever way you want to look at it, he is preeminent. Another thing in the evangelical church that they talk about is, oh, you know, the gate is narrow, the road is narrow. True, yes. Few find it. Yes, the few there do. The few there that Jesus is talking about, the remnant of Israel, they were few in comparison. But in Isaiah 53, he bore the sins of many. And he saw the travail of his soul and was satisfied. And since Christ is preeminent in all things, when we stand there on the last day and we see the many that are numbered like the sands of the sea and the stars of the sky, and we see this little tiny spot that were the seed of the devil, this antithesis through history, that the smoke of their torment will rise forever. It will be a tiny little matchstick of a flame compared to who Jesus saved. Now, I know we sit there and like, yeah, right. Everybody's going, Pff. you don't know how long God's going to keep this going. You have no idea. But we know his promises because he wrote them for us. And he spoke them to men and he promised Abraham that. And what God promises, he will accomplish. 
This is the Lord we serve. Let me close in prayer, and then the men who are serving communion, would you come up with me? Father, I pray that you take these hard truths and that you plant them in our hearts and that you help us to grow around them and that you make it real to us, that you spark in us a passion for evangelism because you saved people. They're out there. But you send feeble men like us to preach the word of the cross, and that's how you call your sheep. God, help us to know that evangelistic efforts are absolutely 100% a guarantee because of the nature of this definite atonement. God, as we approach this communion table and we look at the blood and we look at your body and the representations that we feed on and the means of grace that this is, help us to understand and humble us to know that you would have been just to leave us in our sin. You would have been right to leave us in our sin. But because of your great love, which you loved your people, you sent your son to take our place and to live righteously. So not only do we have our sins atoned for and punished and dealt with, but we also have this perfect righteousness that we can lean on forever. And we thank you that your son is seated at your right hand, waiting for all of his enemies to be made a footstool for his feet. We praise you for these things. We praise you for your word that you've given us so that we can read it. We thank you for eyes to see it. We thank you for ears to hear it. God, I pray for those that don't know you yet. Change stone hearts into flesh. Write your law on them so that they can walk in your ways, so they can do the things that you preordained for them to do, the good works. God, we thank you that you've saved us when we didn't deserve it. We thank you that you've called us from the tomb. We've experienced the first resurrection, the spiritual resurrection. Jesus, you are too good to fathom. You are too great to speak of. And we thank you for dying on the cross for us. In your name we pray, amen.